Welcome to Timberline Windsor. Thanks for joining us this weekend. We are a church family that strives to let love live in every facet of our lives. We at Timberline Windsor desire everyone, every man, woman, and child that calls this church family home to be a part of Connections. To join one today, visit our website or download the Timberline app. Enjoy today's message. We are about to sing a song that this year is exactly 250 years old. It was written in 1772 by an Englishman named John Newton. John had a troubled childhood. His mother died when he was six. His father was a seaman who was not often at home, so young John was sent off to boarding school. He was headstrong, rebellious. He constantly defied authority. At the age of 18, he was pressed into service with the Royal Navy. Rather than straightening his sails, he continued to act out and eventually tried to desert his ship. He mocked and even briefly considered murdering his own captain. He was transferred to another ship and did not get along with that crew either. They got so fed up with him that they abandoned him in Africa in 1745 at the age of 20. His father intervened three years later and arranged for him to get back to England. So let's review. In 1748, we have a very troubled 23-year-old aboard a ship on his way home. The captain of that ship recalled later that John was one of the most profane men he had ever met, and that was saying something, given the debauchery of most sailors of that day. During the voyage, the ship encountered a huge storm, lasting many days. Newton had endured harsh waters many times, but this storm was especially violent. Newton was sure the ship was going to sink. The seas calmed down after John prayed. It was during this trip that John began his spiritual conversion. A seed was planted. God was beginning a work in John Newton. It was the hour he first believed. But like for many others, his conversion was not immediate or complete. He often relapsed into bad habits. When he got back to England, he was hired to work on a slave ship. He eventually became a captain and made repeated trips bringing slaves from Africa back to England. It seems that over time, the combination of his emerging faith and seeing the desperate plight of the slaves caused John to take stock of what he was doing with his life. By 1855, he had given up slave trading altogether. John started to study theology and became a minister. As he studied God's word more earnestly, he saw how sinful he was and the wretchedness of so many things he had done in his life. One day in 1772, John was preparing a sermon 
He was thinking about things he had just read, like the story of the prodigal son, where the father says, his son was lost and now is found. Or the blind man healed by Jesus, who said after being healed, I was blind, but now I see. So John decided to write a hymn to accompany his sermon. Now, Newton was sometimes haunted by his past. That must have included the images and cries of the slaves he transported. And yet, that day, as he wrote this hymn, God replaced that awful loop with something much sweeter. It prompted Newton to write these first six words. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. We also can have a constant loop in our brains of the mistakes we've made. It really is an amazing grace that can eliminate the refrain of our past. And Newton also put in his lyric the many ways his life had been spared. And I realized, how many times has God spared me from dangers, toils, and snares, often without me even knowing it? Really, the lyrics of this song reflect where our hearts and our minds go in our better moments our more honest moments, where we, only through God's grace, are able to see two things at the same time. First, who we really are before God, and the many ways our sinful nature has manifested itself. And second, who God really is, his utter holiness, his unending ability to extend amazing grace to forgive and restore us.
this weekend, we are inviting you into something a little different. I think we can afford at least one week of different. We want to lean in to whatever posture, physical or spiritual, whatever posture most truly engages your heart. That's why we're doing something a little different here. So we give you permission in whatever way is most necessary to truly lean into worship, truly lean into the experience. Allow the the songs to pour over you. Join in the journey as we encounter God's presence together. All right, right now I'd love to lead us in a psalm. I just want you to say this psalm with me as we read it. But this is just an amazing psalm that just talks about our God and how he is so worthy of praise and all the ways that we can praise him in all these different ways. But that's really what, what we're doing today is we're just taking this opportunity to praise him because he is worthy. Do you believe he's worthy? Amen. And so we're going to do this together. We're just going to read this psalm and it's going to talk to us about all the different ways we can praise him. So let's Let's start on verse one here. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All right, we're going to continue to do that right now. Join with us.
You may be seated. Let's talk about a man named Horatio Spafford. He was born in 1828. Horatio was a devout Christian and an avid reader of scripture. He became a lawyer and real estate investor in Chicago. He married a woman named Anna. By his early 40s, he had four children, three daughters, one son. Horatio had a charmed life, a loving wife, healthy and happy children, two thriving businesses, financial security. And then, at the peak of his success, everything changed. First, in 1870, when Horatio was 42 years old, his four-year-old son, Horatio Jr., died of scarlet fever. The next year, the Great Chicago Fire of 1871 destroyed his investments. He was heavily invested in an area along the Chicago lakefront that had suffered the most damage. Then shortly after, he suffered even more losses in a great economic downturn. Still, Horatio's faith remained strong. In 1873, he decided to sail to Europe with his wife and daughters. After so much turmoil in the Spafford household, he knew his family needed a break. He bought tickets for the whole family. Just before their ship was about to sail, a complication arose related to Horatio wrapping up his business in Chicago. He and Anna discussed together what to do and decided that Anna and the girls would sail ahead while he stayed back a short time. So, in November 1873, Horatio put his wife and now four daughters 11-year-old Anna, 9-year-old Margaret Lee, 5-year-old Elizabeth, and 2-year-old Tanetta, who had been born after their son had died, aboard the ship for their overseas adventure, with a promise from Horatio he would follow soon after. Four days into the trip, the ship collided with another vessel. It sank in just 12 minutes. 226 people on board died. Four of those who perished were Horatio's daughters. Among the survivors was Horatio's wife, Anna. Rescuers found her unconscious, floating on a plank of wood. Several days later, Anna and the other survivors reached England. Horatio, back in Chicago, received a brief telegram from his wife. It read, saved alone, what shall I do? Horatio immediately sailed to be with his grieving wife. The captain of that ship was made aware of the tragedy that had beset Horatio. 
As the vessel passed over the area, the very area where his four daughters had died, the captain asked Horatio to join him on deck and pointed out where his family's ship had gone down. It's impossible for me to fathom what Horatio must have been feeling and thinking at that moment. He is staring down at that terrible time in his life, three terribly awful years. First, the death of a son. Then the loss of many of his possessions. And now, standing above the very spot where his remaining children all died. He had to be feeling relentless waves of sorrow, much like the constant waves of the ship he was on. We know the word billow came to his mind. When applied to water, billow means a great wave or, or surge of water. I cannot help but think that he might have been imagining the huge billows that had drowned his four daughters. It would be easy for Horatio to become angry or bitter at God from that moment on, to curse out at God and completely reject his faith. But that is not what Horatio did. He went back to his room and sitting right above the remains of his children, he wrote the words to a song we are about to sing. In his lyrics, he did not deny the great pain he felt, writing, when sorrows like sea billows roll. But all of Horatio's Bible study and prayer over many years had taken deep, deep root. It's like he had been preparing for this moment his whole life. It allowed him to pair that anguish with God's great faithfulness. Whatever his lot, he could add, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. He had a faith he was going to hold on to and asked that God speed the day, whereas he wrote, that faith shall be sight. Hymn composer Philip Bliss was so moved by Horatio's story and the prose of this song that he wrote the tune to accompany its words. It is a song born of inconceivable tragedy that reminds us that even in the darkest of times, we can hold on knowing we have an eternal hope. Let's sing this together.
And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sighed. The clouds be rolled back as a Church, maybe today it is well with your soul. Maybe it's not. But I hope that you can sing those lyrics knowing in your mind that it is well. And we keep singing them and keep singing them until our hearts believe that it is well. Our Savior came to this world and He overcame it. He gave us a warning to say that you will have troubles in this world but take heart because he has overcome it. And we can believe in our minds and trust his faithfulness that when we follow him, we too can overcome this world because he will lead us through it. And we will believe that in our hearts or in our minds until we believe it with our hearts. And so as so many of our psalmists have led the way in praise, praying to God, when they are trapped and lost and desperately with unknown of what's before them, their prayers turn into praises. Thank you. 
for being there and being faithful. So church, let's all stand and shout some praises to the God who leads us to overcome this world, the God who has the power and the might, the God who is the king over all, who the mountains bow down to and the seas roar at his name because he is incomparable to anything else and his promises are true. Let's praise him for that right now.
You know, often when I come to an auditorium similar to this one that we're in now, it's to come to see a performance. I might go see a movie or watch a play or hear a recital. I settle back and wait to be entertained. I function only as an audience member for whom the actors or musicians perform. In that setting, my actions are perfectly appropriate and even socially acceptable. But I've come to realize I can come into church, but I've come into this church myself, and I do the same thing. I sit back and I watch a service unfold before me. I remain lifeless and inert instead of becoming a participant. Sure, I would tell people that the reason I go to church is to worship God. But in my worst moments, I fall instead into being a connoisseur of worship. We're passively watching the people on stage worship especially in times of singing, rather than being an accomplice and doing the active work of giving glory to God. Now, I take some comfort knowing I'm not alone in struggling with this tendency. In the late 1990s, there was a church in Watford, England, called Soul Survivor. The pastor felt the church was grappling with apathy in its use of worship music every week. So the pastor did something very unusual and exceptionally brave. For a short season, he gave all the worship vocalists on stage some time off. He had the musicians pack away their instruments. He turned off the microphones and the entire sound system. The plan was to strip everything away. The only thing left was the voices of the congregation. Now, people at the time described it was rather awkward at first. Nothing but a bunch of people with Bibles and long, long periods of silence. But here's the thing. If you allow silence it can do some remarkable work. And so it happened at Soul Survivor Church. Eventually, people broke into a cappella singing and heartfelt prayers. Now, over time, the instruments and the vocalists and the sound system were reintroduced, but the members of the church had gained a completely new perspective. They had rediscovered their own voices. They saw again that worship is about Jesus. Maybe some saw it for the very first time. And they realized anew that going to church is about bringing an offering to God that comes from the overflow of your heart. One of the people at that church was Matt Redman. You may know that name. He is today a well-known singer and songwriter. His fingerprints are on many of the songs that we sing here at Timberline Windsor every week. Matt was then in his 20s and was the worship leader of this church. 
he realized he himself had come to rely too much on the props that surround worship. He reflected on what happened to his own heart when the music faded and everything was stripped away. So one day, he went to his bedroom and quickly wrote a song that has today become one of the most famous worship songs of all time. Its lyrics remind me that it is not just a song that is required. As I sing, God is not just looking at my lips. He's looking at my heart. I am so sorry, Lord, for the thing I have often made it. The Bible has stories where people actually see the glory of God for what it really is. I mean, they really see it. And when they do, you'll notice their inevitable reaction is to always immediately fall face down in worship. May it be our prayer that we see God's glory that same way. And that as we worship in song, we use the very first instrument God created, our voices, to proclaim that. Sing that with us today. It's all about 
about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made. And it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Jesus, all that we are, all that we do, it at your feet. You are worthy of our song, of the song of our hearts. Yes, the, the words that we cry out, the words that we sing, but God, may they not be lifeless, heartless words, unengaged from our life and meaning. We thank you that here in this service, we have had space to reflect on the words that we call out together. We're sorry for the times where we've disengaged our words from our hearts. You deserve the cries of our hearts and you deserve our song together. Church, over the next couple of months, we're gonna have an opportunity to enter into a series called Playlist. Playlist is gonna be about where we are doing this. This week has been an extended version, of course, of what we're gonna seek in the next few months together. But we're gonna have our preaching team teach and, and return with sermons on, on opportunities on how we are supposed to bring our song from our lips and our song from our hearts together. And so we want to have this opportunity where, where we come together and we uniquely have that chance, singing together, bringing your heart and voice. That's what we're going to be leaning into. So let me pray a prayer of blessing over us. God, I thank you for the opportunities we have to come together. I thank you that you are after our hearts. May we be a church family. May we be people that come together in obedience and joy and celebration and fellowship at the opportunity that we have to bring our hearts and our voices together. You deserve it all, Jesus. It's all about you. Allow us to be and celebrate and worship you as your church. In your name, for your glory, we exist. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great Labor Day weekend. We hope you encountered the love and power of Jesus in today's service. If you're interested in giving, for joining serving opportunities, and much more, visit TimberlineChurch.org connect. Have a great week. Go be the church and let love live.